Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to receive prayer for or you'd like to uh, ask a question. Maybe there's something that's come up in your Bible reading that you're confused about, not sure. We'd love to help answer those questions for you. So give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. Hey, we want to welcome you who are tuning in, no matter where you're tuning in from. We're, we're so glad you're with us. We want to welcome, first of all, those listening here on Grace FM in Colorado and into southern Wyoming. We're so glad that you're tuning in today. You're hearing the show live. And we also want to welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So glad to have you with us. A reminder for those of you on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee, you are hearing this program on a one-week delay. Uh, so just keep that in mind, but we would love for you to call in, and then you guys kind of have a unique opportunity where you get to tune in the following week and listen to yourself on the radio. Maybe you can tell some friends about it. Great way to spread the word about the station as well. And we also want to give a big hello to everybody who is listening online. Um, every now and then they send me a map where I can actually see uh, in live view, who is listening where online. We have some international listeners who tune in regularly. It looks like we have somebody from South Africa who's tuning in right now in South Korea, as well as all over the United States on both coasts and throughout the Midwest and here in the mountain states as well. And um, we're so glad that you're taking advantage of that opportunity. And we encourage you to spread the word about Grace FM because now with the technology the way it is, really anybody throughout the country or even throughout the world can tune in and be part of this community of people who tune in and call in for this show, Calvary Live, as well as those um, who listen to all the other great programming on Grace FM. And so one of the great ways to do that, there's kind of two ways. One way is you can go into your browser, just your normal browser that you use for the internet, and you can just type in gracefm.com gracefm.com and then when you get to the page you can click the button to listen live you can listen on any of your devices anywhere in the world and we also have a great mobile app so if you have a mobile phone or a tablet you can go and get the grace fm app there as well it's totally free and you can listen to this show and all the other great programming live that uh, is on grace fm so we really encourage you to do that and just welcome however you've tuned in Today, we're so glad that you're with us. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. So if there's a Bible question you have, something you're unsure about or would like clarification on, give us a call. And if you'd like a prayer request, we would love to pray for you. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. A few words about myself. 
My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host every Monday here on Calvary Live. And until now, I'm actually going to be switching next week with Pastor Jeff Figs. We're going to do a swap, and he's going to be on Mondays, and I'm going to be on Fridays. So this is my last time with you on Mondays. I'll probably fill in every now and then, so you'll still hear me if you only listen on Mondays. But if you have been a, a faithful listener on Mondays, um, I can I encourage you to keep tuning in. Uh, Pastor Jeff is awesome. And then uh, I'll get the Friday crowd, and hopefully that includes many of you who are listening today as well. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out online. The website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And if you live in Longmont or within driving distance of Longmont, we would love to have you come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. So consider this a personal invitation from me to come and worship with us at our church. We have a great um, worship ministry, a great children's ministry. Uh, your whole family is going to be able to worship and take part. Um, just God's doing a really good thing at our church, and we're excited about it, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. And one of the things I said on the show last week was I invited people who uh, listen to this show and who come to church at this invitation to come up after church and introduce themselves to me. And I had some people come up this past Sunday. They said, hey, we heard you on Calvary Live and you uh, invited people to come up and introduce themselves to you after service. So here we are. And it was awesome. And I love when that happens. And I would love to meet you this coming Sunday. So check us out, uh, whitefieldschurch.com. You'll find the address, the time of service, and all the information you need on there. You can even listen to some of our past messages and catch up on our current sermon series, find out about youth programs and all that good stuff on that website. And when you come, I, I encourage you to come up and say hi to me. I'd love to meet you and shake your hand and uh, get to put a face to uh, many of the people who I interact with here on Calvary Live. Um, Currently in our church, a couple good things going on. It'd be a really good time for you if you are looking for a church. This is a this would be a great time for you to connect with us, uh, for a couple reasons. One of them is that this coming Sunday, so that is January nineteenth, this coming Sunday, we are going to have a meet and greet which we do quarterly. And so meet and greet. What that means is that after service, if you're newer to our church, we'd love for you to come into one of our uh, classrooms after service. We have some kind of you know, hospitality stuff set out, and we share the vision for our church, where we're going, what God's doing, what the future holds for us, and what we uh, value as a church. You get to meet some of our ministry leaders, pastors, and, and those types of things. It's a great way to get some face time and really to hear vision for where the church is at and where we're going and what God's doing. So that's this Sunday after service at Whitefields. We'd love to have you if you're newer. And the other thing that's going on is we are starting community groups this week. And so if you would like to get involved with one of our community groups, our men's ministry, women's ministry, they're all starting up right now uh, after the Christmas break. And so now would be a great time to get connected with us. And you can find more information about that at our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Also, I'll just give you the address and everything for those of you who are in Longmont or the surrounding area. We meet in downtown Longmont, just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue at the north west corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. We're just to the direct south of the uh, downtown park and ride here in Longmont. And we're just right on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. 
and our church meets in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is located at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. So check us out and check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear us every weekday here on Grace FM at 2.30 p.m. We have our sermons airing at that time during a show which is called Life in the Field, which is all about how we live our lives on God's mission field. And then you can also catch us here on Grace FM on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If for some reason you're not able to be in church, definitely tune in 10 a.m. Sunday mornings. We're on Grace FM as well. Well, we've got all open lines. Let's go ahead and go to our first caller, Lori in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have a old classmate who um, is contending with me and um, about, oh God, many, many things. He thinks that the Bible is contradictory. Okay. He thinks that um, he thinks that there's a lot of white supremacy and whitewashing parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He thinks that, um, um, in particular, I don't know, he says one of his favorite contradictory Bible verses is Galatians 4.22 through the end of Galatians 4, where they talk about, um, you know, uh, well, you know, um, the two... The mother, Sarah, wait, right? Mm-hmm. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, and is it Hagar, the mother of Ishmael? Yeah. Okay, so now Paul is talking to his brethren, right? Yeah. Meaning his, his Jewish brethren. I somewhat. Think. I mean, so the Galatians were a mixed crowd, right? They were um, right. mixed Jewish ethnically and ethnically Gentile. Okay, so he so at the end of that, it, so basically what he's saying is we are at the end. Paul is saying to the Galatians at the end of chapter four, he's saying, you know, we're not born of um, we're born of the promised child, not of the flesh child. Correct, mm-hmm. but but this is in spiritual terms, and this person that I'm debating with, or trying, I'm not really debating or contending with him, but he's debating and contending with me because. Um, it's just so hard when when people just flat out don't believe, and they have to give their a thousand reasons why not to believe, whereas I just have one reason to believe, and it's very simple for me. But um, he's basically saying it contradicts itself, because it's saying that, that um, the bond... If we're not, if we, if some people are children of the promise and other people are children of the flesh, then where is love there? Mm. So he's looking at it literally. Yeah, he's fundamentally misunderstanding the point of the passage. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that that's his favorite passage. I mean, what a what a strange thing to have a favorite thing about. (laughs) So anyway, I, I like to have favorites that are like things I like. But I guess he has favorite things that he doesn't like. Here's here's the point. He's totally missing the point of this passage. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the question is this. Does he really want to to understand what this passage is saying on its own terms? Or is he just kind of saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm not interested in really understanding or believing. I've made up my mind, so don't confuse me with your facts. So here's um, my, it, the, here's what's so interesting about this passage. I'll tell you what it is. This is one of the only passages in the Bible, and maybe the only one, actually, where the New Testament is taking an Old Testament story 
and saying that the story may be interpreted allegorically. In fact, it even uses the word allegorical in the text. So there are other times in the New Testament where the New Testament writer will use an Old Testament story allegorically, but this is the only time where it specifically says this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women represent two covenants, right? So he's not saying anything racist against people who are descended from Ishmael. He is saying that these two women represent two covenants. And here's how. Let me explain that real quick. It's that when you look at the Old Testament, it, it really comes down to this. God had given a promise to Abraham and Sarah that the, he was going to give them a child through whom he would fulfill his promise, which is found in Genesis 12, the big Abrahamic covenant, right? Take my hand and walk with me and I will make you a great nation. And out of you, you know, your, your descendants will number the sand on the seashore. They'll be like the stars in the sky. And through you, all people of the world will be blessed. Okay, he said, I'm going to do that through the child you will have through Sarah. Now, throughout the chapters, until the child is finally born, which I believe is in chapter 18, there's this going back and forth. Okay, are we really going to have the child? You know, God promised, but years have gone by. Is it really going to be through Sarah? And at one point, you know, they both get frustrated. And Sarah suggests, well, why don't you just take my handmaiden? Now, Abraham should have not gone with that, but he did. And so he's complicit as well. And so they both decide together, okay, we're going to, make the promise of God happen in the efforts of our own flesh. That right there, that sentence, is what makes Paul's allegory in Galatians chapter 4. Because here's what it comes down to. There are two, so to say, uh, covenants presented, right? One of them is the law, which we know from this very chapter, Galatians 4 and the preceding chapter, Galatians 3, as well as from like Romans 4, which is, a uh, very close parallel to Galatians 4, that the law was never given for the purpose of bringing anyone's salvation. The purpose of the law was to make us aware of God's righteousness and our failure to live up to God's righteous standard. Therefore, as Paul says, you know, the law, therefore, was a teacher which led me to Christ. That's the purpose of the law. And his point is just to say this, the law essentially says what Abraham tried to do with Hagar. I will attain the blessings or the promises in the efforts of my own flesh rather than God's prescribed way, which is to receive them through faith in the promise and trusting, clinging to God and what he's going to do. So that's the allegory. And that's a really important allegory because Paul's saying, look, the way of Hagar is, is the way of death, you know? Because we're not able to live up to God's righteous requirements. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived up to them in his life for us on our behalf. So he gives us his righteousness as a gift. And then he also um, was crucified for us. Our sins being nailed to the cross with Jesus. And that's how our sins are forgiven and we're justified. So I know that you know all these things. I'm just pointing out to you that what's so interesting about this passage is that this is the only passage in the New Testament where it literally uses the word allegorical. So it seems to me that your friend is not really engaged with this text very well. Um, but here's the good news. There's a ton of really, really good um, Bible teaching, Bible commentary that are available which would explain this in, um, in great detail to him if he's willing to engage with it. What, what do you suggest? What is it called? 
Well, I can give you a few examples. Of course, I could give you stuff that I've done myself on this topic, which might be helpful. Um, mm -hmm. If you go to our website, whitefieldschurch.com, I've taught through Galatians. I have a study on this very chapter. If you just go into our teaching section, you'll see sermons, you know, when you go to our website. And you will find Galatians, and you'll find a, a teaching on this passage, Galatians chapter 4. And um, another thing I can give you, kind of a text resource, would be EnduringWord.com. So I'll say that for you again. Enduring, like, you know, endurance race. EnduringWord.com. That's the resource uh, of my friend, Pastor David Guzik in Southern California. And he has written a online commentary of the entire Bible, which is an amazing accomplishment. He just uh, finished it. They're now translated into, I think, seven languages. And mm. it's uh, being used throughout the world. And the other cool thing on EnduringWord.com is that for most of the Bible, he also has audio commentary, teachings that he's done verse by verse. So you could also check out David's teachings there on Galatians chapter 4. He's very good, very clear. Um, so I would I'd recommend those to begin with. The other thing I'd recommend for you is if he, you said that he has questions about racism, slavery, and I think you mentioned one other thing. White I, supremacy. Yeah, white supremacy. And whitewashing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, like, in other words, he said something about the Sum Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, my gosh. So, okay, I've got so much to say on those topics. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Go to my blog, because I, I write, um, I try to write four articles a week on my blog, and it's basically people write in with questions, and I respond to them. And I just wrote about the Sumerian, um, Sumerian uh, epic of Gilgamesh just a couple weeks ago, the same uh -huh. topic. I've also written about slavery. So here's what I, I would encourage you to do. Go to my blog. It's um, The address is nickkady, so N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot org. And then if you go in the search bar, you'll be able to just search all of those topics. Search slavery, search Gilgamesh. You're going to see them all come up. And um, hopefully there's some good resources on there that you Perfect. can use. Another, I'll give you one last one. Although I think the I think the good place to start would be my blog, but the second place I'll tell you to go is a place called AlwaysBeReady.com. AlwaysBeReady.com. That's another friend of mine in Southern California. He his name's Charlie Campbell. He's an apologist, traveling speaker, really really smart guy, and he also has articles on many of these same topics. Okay. Ah, thank you so much. You bet. Let me just pray for you. Um, as you talk to your friend. Holy Father, pray, pray for Lori. I would Lori. like you to pray in this sense okay. that he was a classmate of mine, and he is so turned off, like completely. Mm -hmm. you, it's like his, his ears have total wax in them, so I just want him to open up a little. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Heavenly Father, we pray for Lori. Thank you that she's engaging in these conversations, Lord, and we do trust that as your word goes out, Lord, it accomplishes its purpose. We don't know sometimes if that purpose is the purpose of softening or hardening in somebody's case, but I pray that you give Lori endurance and faith as she speaks your word, knowing that you are the one who will take it and use it for your purposes. But Lord, I also pray for her friend. I pray that you would open his heart, open his mind. I pray that uh, he wouldn't be so close-minded as to not consider other ways of thinking um, than what he's already decided on. But Lord, I pray that you would break through those walls, open up deaf ears, open blind eyes. We know that you're more than capable of doing those things. And we ask that you do it in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless Thank you, Lori. You. God bless you. Okay, bye-bye. 
Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Chris in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Uh, I've got a question, and then I also would like to request prayer. Okay. What's your question? Uh, my, my question is, I never really fully understood uh, the parable of the fig tree. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there are a couple parables of fig trees. I'm just going to pull up one or two, because uh, there, Jesus has a couple interactions with the fig tree. But uh, Okay, where he, um, he was angry and he withered the tree and it died. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a couple really important things to understand that are kind of like background things that make that really Im- important. Okay, so um, Jesus cursing the fig tree, it happens in Matthew tra- chapter 21 and also in Mark chapter 11. And there's kind of two differences between the passages. Um, but what, what's important to understand is the context. So um, we're going to consider the chronology and the setting. Uh, first of all, uh, many people believe that the fig tree is a representation of the nation of Israel. And a uh, fig tree also grows in seasons. So that's another important thing to understand about it. This is also taking place uh, the week before Jesus' crucifixion. He's come into the city. Um, you know, People are welcoming him as the, as the Messiah. He's on his way uh, to Jerusalem from where he's staying in Bethany. So he's crossing over the Mount of Olives. Bethany's kind of on the backside of the Mount of Olives. And so he's crossing over the Mount of Olives uh, down the hill into Jerusalem. And it says that he comes to the tree expecting to find something to eat, but he finds no fruit on it. And so a lot of people believe that um, the issue here is really speaking of Israel and Israel not having Uh, the fruit that was expected to be seen. So, just looking at this passage one more time. Um, Significance of the passage again. Um, The the setting here, Jesus is coming in. He's about to be crucified. He's going to cleanse the temple. And so a lot of people believe that uh, this this, uh, fruitless fig tree kind of speaks of the spiritual condition of Israel at that time. Now we have to take this along with um, other parts of the of the Bible, right? And so, here's what we see: Jesus comes in, right? As he's crucified, the um, line, what do you call it, the uh, the curtain that separates the holy of holies is torn in half. Now, there's two two big things that this means for us. One of them is that it's essentially saying that the way into the immediate presence of God has been opened. The dividing wall between God and man has now been removed. But it also meant that uh, there was a change coming in the whole system, meaning the religious system of Israel. And that religious system had existed for a time and for a purpose. You remember that in Colossians chapter 1 and, and then into chapter 2, it talks about, you know, hey, don't let anybody judge you according to these festivals and new moons, etc., or in you know, all these things that he says, don't let people judge you according to. But he says, these things are a shadow, but the substance is in Christ. In other words, the big change that was coming is this. These, these, this religious system that existed, it had been given for a purpose. That purpose was to foreshadow 
Jesus and what he would do and to point people towards the salvation and the Savior that would one day come, at least in fullness, right? And so as that has now come in Jesus, right, the, the, and the ripping of the temple curtain, what this all represents is that this system is done. There is no more need for any more sacrifice. And the system itself, which at the time was corrupt, it's now done. We see this a lot in Hebrews, right? Jesus talks about, hey, there's no more need for any more sacrifice. And we see this interesting thing where in the past there were, there were priests, there were temples, all these things. And in the new covenant system, a lot of that has changed in this sense. There's no longer a need for a temple because the, ultimate, the purpose of the temple was sacrifice. The purpose of the sacrifices were to atone for sin and also to give fellowship with God. But now those things have been accomplished in and through Jesus. So let's imagine if you were a non-Jewish, or yet yeah, non, let's say you're a pagan person who met a Christian. You might say, okay, so cool, a religion, where's your temple? And the Christian would say, we don't have a temple because Jesus is our temple. Well, where, where do your priests go? They said, well, Jesus is our priest and he has called us to be priests of this new covenant. We're a nation of priests. You know, oh, well, where do you make your sacrifices? Well, Jesus was our once and for all sacrifice, and now the sacrifices we make are the sacrifices of our lives. In other words, to bring it back to the question of the fig tree, here's, here's what it means. The fruitless fig tree, in my understanding, is a picture of the Jewish religious system at the time of Jesus. Um, it was corrupted. Jesus was saying, you're done. You know, I've d I'm done with you and you're going to be put away anyway because you were just a foreshadowing of what was to come and now what was to come has come. Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to have to think on that one a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, could I get some prayer? Yeah. Okay, I, I do believe there's spiritual warfare going on within my family and certain individuals there. And so I, I guess I want prayer against that. Okay, I would love to pray for you. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I pray for Chris and I pray for her family. I pray for the spiritual warfare that she's experiencing in her family. Lord, we know that spiritual warfare um, doesn't just happen for no reason. Lord, it oftentimes is because the enemy is opposing us for a reason. And so, Lord, I pray that Chris, in a way, would be encouraged by the fact that she's being opposed, that their family's being opposed, but also, Lord, encouraged by the fact that you are with her. You're with her family, and in Christ, you are for them, and you want what is good for them. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with them, strengthen them, give them confidence in the midst of this battle, but also, Lord, help them to speak the truth in love in situations where that's the case, uh, where they have the opportunity to speak. Help them to speak the truth in love. And, Lord, we pray that your spirit would bring unity where there's division, and, Lord, that there would be love and charity throughout. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Thank hey Chris, you. just... Uh, one quick thought for you on this uh, this passage that I'm preparing right now to teach on Sunday, and the passage I'm teaching comes from Second Kings chapter six, and I would encourage you to read that passage because it's a really interesting one. The army of Syria 
has surrounded Elisha the prophet and his servant. And his servant is freaking out because it's just the two of them. They're surrounded by an army. And Elisha says, hey, um, don't worry because God's with us. And the servant's not convinced. And so Elisha asks God to open the servant's eyes to see the spiritual reality that is generally unseen. And God opens his eyes, and what the, the servant sees is armies surrounding them and chariots of fire. And there are more, that's where the phrase comes from, there are more with us than those who are with them. And I would just encourage you in that sense that God is uh, with you, and in this spiritual battle, he is the victor, and you get to walk in that victory. So God bless you, Chris. Thanks for calling in. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Yeah. This is Calvary Live. We've come up to our mid-show break. Uh, we've got one open line. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. We'll be back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and things going on in your life, and we would love to also pray for your prayer requests. We have all open lines right now. Let's go to our next caller. Let's see who that is. I believe it's Ken in Firestone, Colorado. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for holding. Yeah, I had a discussion the other day about Genesis with a good friend of mine, and um, it brought up the question of uh, whether to take Genesis literally or whether to take Genesis and the events within it um, symbolically. And the question is really more realistic. Uh, some of the examples, which one is more realistic, um, to take it literally or to take it symbolically? And some of the examples of the dis- from the discussion that we talked about is that um, I originally believed that dinosaur and man um, had walked the earth at the same time because God had created all creatures um, according to their kind, and, and then man named all of them. Well, um, he pointed out that, well, creatures were created before man, and we don't know the time period between when um, God created man and all of the creatures. Um, the second part of that was that it was more day. It was more, I considered it as days. There was a morning and there was an evening, um, and the day ended. And he suggested, well, is the day we're confining God into a period of time, um, the Gregorian calendar, which is which wasn't created for thousands of years past what um, what the beginning of of time began. So, are we putting God in that little time frame by saying a day is truly the morning and the evening of a twenty four hour twenty four hour day? Um, another example was that the layer K in archaeological um, digging, they found on the layer K that there's radiation leading to killing off the dinosaurs and then no radiation after that. So if the dinosaurs had died in, in layer K, then how did man continue to survive beyond that if everything on the earth, no vegetation, um, and all of the archaeological findings were were that nothing survived that layer K. 
Mm-hmm. And then the final one was the flood. So those were really just things that I've kind of had concrete in my mind, and he just got me thinking about it. The final one is the flood, and whether it was regional or whether it was global, and I tend to believe that it was global uh, because just like a bowl, you, you have to have something high, higher than the water to hold the water in. So if it was regional, then the mountains surrounding the area had to be high enough that it would only um, hold in the water in those areas. So that's my question ultimately is, which is more realistic to take Genesis's events literally symbolically or or both yeah so uh, my answer would be when you're talking about genesis i assume you're only talking about the first 11 chapters um or Mm -hmm. are you going beyond that because um the first 11 chapters is kind of called prehistory meaning that these are that the first 11 chapters serves for a purpose and i think it's really important to understand the purpose in it the theological purpose in it and the intended purpose of it Okay, so what that means is the purpose of the first 11 chapters is um, to give us kind of what we would call in our day and age uh, the basis or the foundation for a worldview. Who is God? Why, is the, or why are we here? How do we get here? Um, what are the problems that we are facing? What, is, what are the cause of them? And so from a theological perspective, Genesis is very effective in doing that, the first 11 chapters what's uh, it's sometimes okay. called proto-history, right? And so that what this means is that the, those, those um, chapters are not meant to give us a detailed history of the world. Here's what Genesis is about. It's about the story of um, God's redemption in the world, and it's giving us the foundation for that story. Now, here's mm-hmm. where somebody might say, so are you saying that Genesis isn't uh, literally true? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that from a theological perspective, what is the purpose of Genesis 1 through 11? And the purpose of Genesis 1 through 11 is to say this. First of all, God created the world. How did he create it? He created it lovingly. He created it in joy. He created it with purpose. And his greatest creation is human beings. Human beings then rebelled against God. That is why the world is the way it is today. That is why We don't only live in a broken world, but we are broken people, right? So we see Genesis, there's a curse that comes about. This is how things, in other words, the way that things are now is not the way that they were originally meant to be. Okay, but that sets up everything that will come after. So anyway, in a worldview perspective, that is saying, why is the world the way it is? Why are there problems such as there are? Here's why, because of sin. But then we also see, but God is going to do something about it. What I find super interesting is chapter 4, 5, and 6, and here's why. Because chapter 4 essentially serves to say this point. Okay, so there was this whole thing with sin. Well, how did that change things? Well, people began to die. People began to die. The first person who dies, at least as we know, is Abel. Abel is the first human being to die. And then we see this whole thing happen where then more and more people die. And then I love actually talking about chapter 5 because it covers... 1,600 years of human history. It's actually 1,656 years of human history in one chapter. Did you know Mm -hmm. that the rest of the Bible after Genesis 5 covers a period of about 1,600 years of history? In other words, in Mm -hmm. one fell swoop, God jumps over 1,600 years of human history and doesn't say anything about it. And what that means is that the Bible isn't primarily a history book. The Bible exists to tell us a story which is specifically about um, the redemption 
of human beings by God through Jesus. Okay, then you get to Genesis 6, and I love the point of Genesis 6 through 8, or 6 through 9, really, and it's this. You know, so many people think, hey, if we could just get rid of the bad people, then the world wouldn't be a bad place, because, you know, the problem with the world is those people. Well, think about this. Mm -hmm. God said, okay, let's um, show you that that's not how it works. Essentially, everyone in the world is killed, except for the very best person and his family. And then the world goes back to within not even within one generation, immediately goes back to sin and destruction, which shows us that sin does not reside outside of us in culture. Sin, the problem is that sin resides inside of us in our hearts. We don't just need to be saved from culture. We ourselves need to be saved. The problem is within. We need new hearts. And so all of these things serve to tell something. You know, the Tower of Babel, it, again, this, the purpose of the story is to explain why the world is the way it is. Now, having said that, are these things to be taken literally or symbolically? Well, that's a great question, and it's one that needs to be answered. My take on it is this. We have to ask the question, what is the, does the Bible purport to be telling us things that are meant to be taken literally or things that are meant to be taken symbolically? In other words, what is the intention of the scriptures? Here's one thing that a lot of people miss about Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 in Hebrew is wit written in the form of poetry. It's actually written as a song. Now, we don't get that when we read it in English because a lot of things are lost in translation. We don't see the rhyming. We don't see the rhythm. But there is rhythm and rhyming to it. So a lot of people look at Genesis 1 and they say, well, the problem is Genesis 1 isn't meant to be read as a scientific textbook. It's meant to be read as a poem. And so if you read a poem, like in the Psalms, where it says that David says, I was swimming in my tears, well, that that's not it literally true. Mm -hmm. It's figuratively true. Mm -hmm. Now, I can tell that some of our readers at this point would probably be saying, wait a second, is he saying that he doesn't believe that Genesis 1 is literal? My take on it actually is that I believe it is literal and it's poetic at the same time. But the, the, here's, the, here's the question. You know, It talks about days existing and yet days mm -hmm. existing before there's a sun. And so a lot of people would say, well, then are those literal 24-hour periods? Well, in one way, it seems to be expressly saying that these are 24-hour periods by saying that there was morning and there was evening on the first day. The question is, though, you know, how is that to be understood? I have some friends in my church and, um, and outside of my church who work with what's called the Discovery Institute, and I would really recommend that you look up the Discovery Institute and look at some of the work that they're doing. Um, okay. They are doing some great stuff on this. Their take is actually that these days are epochs or what, whatever you might call them, they're periods of time. This is really outside mm -hmm. of my area of expertise, but I will tell you this. To your friends' questions, um, there are a lot of really good answers, um, and I would direct you towards Answers in Genesis, and they really hold that six-day creation period view, and they give a lot of really good answers to the kinds of questions your friend is asking. Now, here's why I'll tell you from a theological perspective why it does matter much of Genesis 1 through 11 is literal, okay? Because we are dealing with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, as the first man and first woman, this has theological implications. If there were people who, let's say, evolved in other ways, you know, um, mm -hmm. in different places, which, which basically nobody holds to anymore, right? That was a view that was held yeah. maybe a little bit in the 20th century, and, and it led to a lot of really bad things. Right, like Hitler mm -hmm. 
believed that you know people in Africa had evolved separate from people in Europe, and that was actually like a huge um, thing that led to a lot of racism um, in a lot of different political systems. But let's just say this: nowadays, almost everybody rejects that. Everybody agrees that we came from common ancestors, and so we need to understand that: did Adam and Eve really sin? And is it just saying that uh, there was a literal Adam and Eve or, you know, this is just a metaphorical or allegorical, symbolical thing? I would say that from a theological perspective, we have to say that the New Testament deals with them as literal people. Jesus dealt with them as literal people. Um, and we should, too, um, because it does mm -hmm. have implications theologically. So that that's my take on it. Um, I think that primarily when we read Genesis 1 through 11, the focus needs to be on what is the theological implication of these things. Um, this is a theological book which intends to give us theological information. On the other hand, should we start taking these things symbolically? I think that we need to take them at face value of what they're given to us. In some cases, some things might be, there might be some room, like with the days versus epochs, to say, okay, maybe, you know, as we align this with science, there might be more than one way to look at this, in which case I would mm -hmm. direct you especially to the Discovery Institute. But I'd also at the same time say check out uh, Answers in Genesis because they would answer a lot of those questions. Okay. And uh, one last question about that in the epochs versus days. It, I believe the very, the, the day that he rested, there is no end of the day. There's no morning and then the and then an evening, is there, a, is there an importance to that? Um, it mentions that there is a day, there is a, there is a morning and an evening in six of them, and then in the final one, it doesn't say that there's an evening or an end of the day. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I said, I don't, I don't think that it is intended to be read as a science book, but I would say that where it speaks scientifically, I do believe it's accurate. Um, okay. So again, the, being that the genre of Genesis chapter 1 is um, poetry, I would say that there's probably poetic sim symbolism to that. Okay. Okay. Wow. Great. Wonderful. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, if you, you could bet. just say um, a quick prayer, just lifting up um, the discussion that me and my friend had, that we were able to, to continue it on in a, uh, in a very kind and loving way with each other. Yeah. yeah, he's also a Christian, so he just had a different view of it and wanted to share it. We got a little passionate, and it was cool, and it was great. But I want to make sure that I maintain a good relationship with a friend. So as we sure. continue to have this, if you can just pray that we continue to do it for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I pray for Ken, and I pray for his friend. I thank you that his friend loves Jesus and uh, that they can be brothers in Christ. And I pray, Lord, just on this topic of um, having these issues amongst Christians where it comes down to interpretations of the Bible where um, where we might not be 100% sure, but they're secondary issues. Lord, help us to do those things as family. Help us to do them lovingly. Help us to do them with collegiality and, and with a fierce dedication to unity while we discuss these issues. And um, Lord, I pray that you'd help Ken and his friends to do that and that they would be built up in their common faith. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Have a blessed day. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Taking your calls and texts on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life that you'd like prayer for. Let's go to our next caller, Dan in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the program. 
Hey, how you doing? Um, doing great. I was calling you, uh, Pastor, because I, I was reading through Genesis today, kind of in the, about Isaac and uh, no, no more about Jacob. And uh, as I was reading, I was wondering why um, the Lord had spoken about multiple marriages. I know that you know we're supposed to marry one person, and uh, you know I'm thinking how. Jacob wanted to marry, I believe, Rachel, but then he ended up marrying Leah because he was kind of bamboozled, and then he married Rachel, and then he ended up having kids by the two of them, along with their, their maidservants, and, um, which gave the 12 tribes. But I, I was just wondering why the Lord never spoke out against these multiple um, relationships. Yeah. So there are a lot of things in the Bible that the Bible doesn't speak against, um, let's say, explicitly, but it speaks against them implicitly, right? It okay. implies things that tell us that this is outside of God's plan. And that's really important that we learn to read the Bible and as to what it speaks for and not just what it speaks against, because then we imply the things that it's also against, right? So, for example, mm -hmm. in the very first chapter of the Bible and then repeated in the second chapter of the Bible. We see one man and one woman brought together and there's this saying that's said about them, right? You know that um, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. And there's a couple important things in there. First of all, there's one man, there's one woman, but it literally says a man will leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. And then it says, you know, what God has created, let no one separate. So we see what, what we have there is kind of a baseline, right? It's the, um, it's the foundation for how we are to think about marriage. And I think it's so interesting that in the very first chapter that talks about the creation of the world, it also talks about the creation of marriage, right? It, it's right there as God's giving us a book of beginnings, which throughout Genesis, we see the beginning of many things and a lot of... Um, the beginnings are really important because they lay uh, foundations, right? They lay a uh, precedent, we might say. So what does the Bible teach about marriage? Well, chapter one, it says marriage, one man, one woman before God, and they shall not be separated, right? So it's one man, one woman uh, in love before God forever. That's the um, baseline or the precedent, the design for marriage. We see that continued throughout. And here's the other thing we see. Whenever anybody deviates from that, Nothing good ever comes of it. it is always and every single time it is bad news. And so is that what we would call, you know, the word we would use for that is, is it didactic? Meaning does, is, are those stories written for a purpose of teaching us something? I would say they're absolutely didactic. And so what that means is that when the Bible shows us that Abraham took another wife and it wrecked his life and messed things up, um, well, what that means is Abraham's deviating from, the, from the, the system. He's deviating from the design. And here's the result. Everything's messed up. And then we see, you know, it does it again. Isaac only has one wife, but then Jacob has two wives, and it is a mess, a, a giant mess. And it creates problems between the kids. It creates problems between the kids and the parents. Um, and then you go on, and you can go through the Bible, and you can look at every single instance of plural marriage, and it is never good. And then when you get to the New Testament, um, you see that it is expressly condemned in the New Testament. In other words, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you can only be the pastor of one wife because 
hey, this might be something that people do out there in society, but is not something that is allowed in God's church, uh, especially for leaders. Now, here's the thing. Here's why that was said, because let's imagine you're a guy who's a pagan dude and you, before you became a Christian, you know, you have three wives. Well, you become a Christian. What should you do? Should you divorce two of your wives? Well, by doing so, first of all, you'd be divorcing, which God says he doesn't want you to do. Secondly, you would be putting those women in a very precarious situation uh, where they would be vulnerable to poverty. They would be vulnerable to, you know, being pariahs in society. And so you would actually be doing a greater disservice to them by divorcing them than you would by continuing to provide for them. And so there are a lot of things like in the uh, Old Testament law that says, hey, if you are a man and you slept with a woman who isn't your wife, then you need to go and talk to her dad. And what's going to happen is if her dad says, okay, you guys should be married, then you're going to be responsible to take care of her for the rest of her life. Um, but if her dad doesn't like you and says, no, you can't marry my daughter, then you have to pay a price because of what you did. In other words, we see this, this is, I do believe there's a consistent pattern throughout the Bible which shows that plural marriage is not only against God's design, but it is, a, it is a sin. It's an offense. And therefore, there must be reparations made in, the, in that case. Um, but it's a long-term thing, right? Where you like, if you do this, it's not just pay some money. Um, if, if it's a good relationship or whatever and, and the whole family agrees that this is something that should continue, you're going to be responsible for the rest of your life to take care of this person because that's the right thing to do um, for the sake of that person's well-being. Now, we, we live in a very different society right now. We live in a society where uh, women have careers and there are social safety nets, which didn't exist in the past. And so, obviously, there's uh, some different applications today. But my point is just to say this. Um, the Bible does explicitly talk against... Um, plural marriage in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it, so to say, sows the seeds that show that this is, first of all, not God's design. And every time it's done, we're told implicitly it's a disaster. Okay. All right. That, that makes total sense. I was just, I was reading through it. I was just like, wow, you know, and then, you know, they were having kids, and it was like, oh, God heard this one's prayer and heard that one's prayer when they had a kid, and then this one allowed this one to have a kid. And I'm like, man, like, what's going on? <laughs> right, right, right. And, okay. you know, this is the important way for us to understand the Bible, because there are a lot of things in the Bible where, you know, there are a lot of things that exist today that didn't exist back then. And so if we only take the Bible as, well, God never said in the Bible, you can't smoke pot, so I guess I can smoke pot. Well, of course he didn't say that because that wasn't a thing 3,000 years ago or even, you know, 2,000 years ago. But what we have is we have principles that guide us and we can apply those principles to the unique things that we now face in our society today. And uh, so it's really important that we read the Bible in that way. Okay. Okay, well, thank you for clearing that up for me, Pastor. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. God bless you, Ken. God bless you, too. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. We uh, have had full lines this uh, entire show, and I'm glad for that. It's my, I'm, I told you earlier in the show this is going to be my last Monday hosting Calvary Live. I might still fill in every now and then, but after this week, I'm going to be switching to Fridays. So uh, if you tune in on Mondays, I hope you'll continue to do so, and I hope you also tune in on Fridays and join me then as well. Let's go to our next caller, Chastity in Denver, Colorado. 
Hi, Chastity. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Did I get your name right? Yeah, Chastity. Okay, cool. Hey, I just had a quick question. So when I I kind of have like a little Bible study going on at work, and nice. today's question came up, um, how did Jesus find names or men with names such as like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Peter, Simon, Thomas, since those are more like more American type names, like how did that come about when they're actually in the Middle East? Yeah, well, these are the anglicized versions of Hebrew names. In the case of Luke, that's actually a Gentile name, meaning it's a Greek name. Um, but, you know, Matthew is going to have roots that come from um, Hebrew language or from some other Semitic language. So that that's the way. Um, these are you know, if you would look at their names, they were probably different names in Hebrew, but these are the anglicized versions of them. You okay, know, like so you I, can, I, I like read that like um, James came from the word Jacob. That's right. Like that. In other languages, for example, so I, I speak um, Hungarian, and in Hungarian we actually call James Jacob, which comes from Jacob. Okay. And Matthew, you know, this is one of those things where language names change depending on the, the language, right? So... Matthew yeah. could be Matteo, Mate, these kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, you just read like at the beginning of the Bible where it's like, you know, this person begot this person, and those are hard names to say, and then, you know, just coming with the modernized type names, it, it just kind of threw us off a little bit. Yeah, and so, so the way to look at it is that um, we, have, we have named ourselves after um, the people in the Bible, and that's why these names seem common to us. And we've also anglicized them. So I'm looking at Matthew, for example, comes from uh, the Hebrew word Matiyahu, who's actually like there's a reggae guy named uh, Matisyahu, but it's like Matiyahu, which means gift of Yahweh. So that was a very oh. Hebrew name, but we've anglicized it, you know, to make it sound better in English. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. You bet. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. Let's go to our last caller, John in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a quick question. and If you don't mind, I'm just going to hang up because I'm, I'm kind of busy, so I'm just going to you know listen in. Um, okay. But my, my question is, so we believe as Christians um, that, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're equal. Um, why is it that when in, in the Bible Jesus says that it's okay to blaspheme Him, but it's not okay to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? So if you could just clear that up, I, I would great, greatly appreciate it. Sure. Go ahead and take off then. Well, okay. Actually, Jesus says that um, anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, He says that that is the unforgivable sin. So I think that that is an important thing. Now we have to... Uh, explain what that means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because a lot of people are really worried that they've done it on accident when um, maybe in fact they haven't actually done what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is described as um, if we really look at the Bible. But um, here's the other thing. Old Testament says it is a sin, even a sin punishable by death to blaspheme God, Yahweh. Um, you know, when Jesus says that it is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is the unforgivable sin, and I would assume also, you know, Jesus is going to say that to blaspheme him is also a sin. So I would see, say, first of all, it seems that the Bible is very clear on all of these. Blasphemy against God is a sin no matter which 
person of the Trinity you are doing, directing your blasphemy against. Now, I'll just give you, I've got two minutes left. I'll give you a quick rundown of what I understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to mean, just in the sense that it is the one sin for which there is no forgiveness. Considering that the work of the Holy Spirit, as we're told by Jesus in John 14 and 16, is to bring people to the recognition of their sin, right? So sin, righteousness, and judgment. Recognizing that we are sinful, recognizing that God is righteous and we have fallen short, and recognizing that there is a judgment to come for those who have fallen short of God's righteousness. This is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, which is for the purpose of bringing us to receiving the salvation and Savior that God has provided for us. And so to reject that work is considered blasphemy. In other words, the Holy Spirit is drawing you, the Holy Spirit's speaking, whispering in your ear, telling you sin, righteousness, and judgment, and drawing you to Jesus. And to reject that work is uh, paramount to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And to reject that offer of salvation and forgiveness is the one thing which cannot be forgiven, if that makes sense. So uh, I hope uh, that answers your question, John. And I would just encourage everybody out there to not blaspheme neither the Father nor the Son and especially not the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Hey, it has been great being with you on Mondays. I will be switching over to Fridays next week. Um, Check us out online at our church, whitefieldschurch.com. We'd love to have you and meet you. Tune in every weekday for Calvary Live, 4 to 5 p.m. God bless you and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.